Uh, would you stand with me to read again this evening Psalm 127 and 128. One twenty-seven, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord build the, keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. 128, verse 1. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. You may be seated. This evening, the subject of title is Suitable Helper. The subtitle being The Role of a Godly Woman. Proverbs 31.10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? I always find whenever I'm studying on the subject of womanhood, there's something a little bit different in my spirit. Uh, there's a, something a little bit stronger or more, um, I, I guess it's a bit hard to describe actually, but um, maybe more of a, maybe even a deeper passion in, in a certain sense because of the fact that, that I just feel the value of, 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 of women. And, and having been married to, uh, to my wife for over 28 years, having experienced the blessing of a godly wife, uh, seeing the value of that in so many ways, uh, both her as my wife and, and also as a mother, um, I think we can't, we can't overestimate the value of a woman. And the Bible makes that very clear. Solomon seems to confirm this in Ecclesiastes 7, 27 and 28. And I'm not quite sure what he's saying or what he was saying um, as he wrote this, but he says, Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one, to find out the account which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. And I, I don't know if I'm taking this verse out of context or not, but... Solomon had 1,000 women in his household. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And it seems that maybe he struggled to find a virtuous woman among them. I don't know. Uh, we do know that Solomon made some really poor choices as it relates to his wives. That's, that the Bible does make that clear. Proverbs 19.14 says, House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Do you, do you believe that God has given you the wife that he chose for you? Well, I guess you chose the wife. Hopefully he directed your steps when we were doing that. <clears throat> In 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, and we're just jumping right to this verse, there's some just before that that we could look at to give more context, but we're familiar with this verse, um, majority of us, I'm sure. 1 Peter 3, 7 
says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, the wives, according to knowledge, giving honor. This word honor in this context means value, esteem, precious, something very valuable. Give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Another version says, live with your wives with the proper understanding that they are more delicate than you. And I think probably it would be safe to say that the day that we decide we're going to make an honest effort to understand our wives is the day that our prayers are going to be more effective. I think that's what this verse is saying, and I, I think, I hope I've experienced some of that um, in my life. There's uh, a thought I came across in, in, a, in a book some time ago. I hadn't mentioned this one yet this week, but this one is entitled His Brain, Her Brain. If you want to understand some of the differences, the, the vast differences between men and women and why this book is a good one for that <clears throat> but he says well let, let me read to you and then we'll talk about um, what he says here he says husbands he's quoting now here from um, from this verse different version be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner. The Greek word usually translated weaker is said by experts in Greek to be somewhat difficult to render in English. Literally, the Greek word, I have no idea how to pronounce this, but it looks like asthenes, can describe someone who is without strength, feeble, sickly, or unwell, someone who is diseased, impotent, or weak. That's kind of what the literal word means as you look at it without study. Although Barb and I are not theologians, we both felt in our heart that a man like Peter, as, at least as we see him, would not ask men to honor or value weakness. In addition, this was a real conundrum to me. How could I honor and value something feeble? It just didn't make sense to me. One day I was in the physician's lounge of our local hospital having a cup of coffee with a psychiatrist friend named Peter, who had grown up in Greece. Peter was my local expert in the Greek language, so I asked him how he interpreted the Greek word asthenes. And as he explained the various descriptions of the word to me, I was pleasantly surprised to discover a much richer and deeper meaning. He said this term could be used to describe the most fragile and valuable art, the most delicate and costly bone china, porcelain vases and crystal, the most valuable and exquisite jewelry. He went on to say that the term is used to describe a dainty, delicate, luxurious, subtle but extremely rare and dear gift. Then he says this, Men, we wouldn't say a Porsche, a 1957 Porsche is weak. We would not say the Mona Lisa is weak. And by the way, these are the supposed values of those items. So what is your wife worth? These items would be described, these here. As asthenes, priceless pieces of beautiful artistry, belonging, belongings of immense and incredible importance, worth and value. These artworks are designed, intended, and crafted to be appreciated, beloved, and desired, to be honored, esteemed, and valued, to be appreciated, respected, and protected, to be sheltered, shielded, and praised, to be proclaimed, lifted up, and spotlighted, to be polished, displayed, and treasured. Wow. Peter is saying that God has built for and given to each husband a priceless and delicate treasure, his wife, for him to value, esteem, and care for. 
If you're married, God has given you a spouse that he intended and created for you, a woman of indescribable, inconceivable, inestimable, inestimable and incredible value. And men, the owner of the art gallery, our Heavenly Father, holds us responsible for our wives' care. He holds us responsible for caring for and deeply and caring deeply about them. Is that who you are? Is that what you do? I find this a bit interesting. That Time magazine, uh, and I forget the year here now, it was a number of years ago, on the cover of Time magazine, it said, why are men and women different? And it says there at the bottom, it isn't just upbringing. New studies show they are born that way. Well, who would have guessed? What a fascinating discovery. You know, sometimes you wonder, don't you, what people do with their brains. But we have finally, or, or actually, Stu Weber said this in the, in the book, Tender Warrior. He said, we have finally proven in the halls of science what we already knew in the halls of kindergarten. You just watch five-year-olds, boys and girls. You can see they're different because God made them that way. Do we have to do a major study to find out they're different? No. Every mother has already known that boys and girls, men and women, are simply naturally, profoundly, unquestionably, thoroughly different. And if you've been married for more than a year, you've found that out. Both sides. You wonder sometimes how she can think the way she does. You wonder sometimes how he can think the way he does. How are they different? Well, this is just the one way. <clears throat> Again, Stu Weber's comment. Women use conversation to expand and understand relationships. Men use talk to convey solutions, thereby ending conversations. Now, that is a problem. Do you hear what that's saying? We had some good conversation at Willie Mama's house last evening about some of these very things and how it's just, you know, when we come home from work, the wives want to talk right away, and we're like, please give me a break. I just got home. Let me land a little bit. Um, those kind of things. But, but think about this. Th this is how it is, men. I know you can't comprehend this, but women use conversation to, ex to expand and understand relationships. You see, all that talk they want to do, they're not necessarily looking for solutions. They're just trying to kind of put everything together. See, their minds, they're making lots of connections all at one time. And you're like, honey, give me a break. I can only handle one idea at a time. Generally, that's the case. And so if they use conversation to understand relationships, they need to talk a lot, generally speaking. Now, sometimes the reverse is true. The man will talk a lot more, but generally this is the case. Where we as men, we talk so we can figure out how to fix it and be done with the conversation. That's, that's not going to work. That's one of the differences. He goes on to say, what may seem like chit-chat to a man is lifeblood to a woman. All that chit-chat is how her soul thrives. And emotionally, she connects with you. Men, please accept that fact. That's how they're made. And just because it's different than you doesn't mean it's wrong. 
We're just different. And the sooner we accept that as good, the sooner we can move on in our relationship and the closer we'll become. It's normal and even necessary for your wife to discuss things for no apparent reason. And um, one of the, the books that we've come across, there's a book called For Men Only. And uh, it says in there how that women have these open windows. And this is not, I don't, I, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just thinking of this now. This is not in my notes, but um, I guess I should talk about this on, on Sunday evening when we talk about marriage. But um, I just kind of, it's coming to my mind. They can have a dozen open windows at one time. Things that they're thinking about, it's kind of back there buzzing in their head that's maybe bothering them. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do with. And um, one of the things I finally learned after over 20 years that I'm a whole lot further ahead if before we go to bed in the evening, the day is done, the children are in bed, if I just sit down and say, honey, do you have any open windows we need to talk about? Now, we, I did that for a while, and, and now she just says them, usually. But it took a while. And sometimes she would say, well, yeah, but I'm not ready to talk about it. Or sometimes she'd say, yeah, I have some. And sometimes she warns me it might be a tough one. Are you ready? But it's, it's small things, and I'm like, I'm, I'm tired, I'm ready to go to bed, my day is done, work is over, everything's good, I had supper, children are in bed, let's just go to bed and sleep. But she has some open windows. <clears throat> and sometimes she just wants to talk. So what is the purpose of a woman? That's what we're going to get to now. I have three that I'm going to look at this evening. You, you could, I'm sure you could come up with others, but these are the three that I'm going to talk about. And this is married or unmarried. Um, purpose of, of a woman, and this is not in order of importance, so number one just simply means it's the first one I have, but to be a helper to man. And that doesn't sound very glamorous. And it's not really either, but it's a good thing. Genesis 2.18 well, I'm going to turn there. Genesis 2 and verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And this, this word, I think, I think we get confused with this. This word, help me, there's something about those two words in the King James together that make it sound kind of like a servant. I don't know about you, but that's how it's always felt to me. This, it's, it's help me. What is a help me? Um, it sounds like kind of a lowly job, but it's actually not. This, this, this word is, it, it does not mean that you are your husband's servant in the sense that you must serve him as though he's the king. Now, I told you the other night that men are kings, okay? So we're not conflicting here. Um, that's, just, that's just the rule of a man, but, but that is not to be how he treats you as though he's the king and you're his servant or his slave. That is not your job. I believe God made the woman to help man because we are incomplete without them. And may I say sometimes a bit ignorant. And that's not to belittle the role of men. But sometimes we are. We need their help. Especially when it comes to relationships. <clears throat> but can you imagine God when he was, when he was getting ready to to take Adam's rib and make this woman for him. You, you know how much pleasure you get giving a gift to your child or a good friend of yours. It's fun, right? To, to give them the thing that they, they really, really love. You know they're going to be so excited when they get this gift. 
Can you imagine God's anticipation? And, and Adam had become aware that he was alone. The animals had a partner, and he didn't. And he had become aware of that, according to Genesis 2. And God said, this is going to be fun. I'm just imagining a little bit. I'm going to make him a companion that is going to be amazing. Man is stimulated by sight, so I am going to make her beautiful. She's going to be a creature that fits him perfectly. Just think about it a bit. God's anticipation of doing that. Reading another uh, section here from the Tender Warrior book. <clears throat> the living one had been, had been having a ball creating earth, sun, moon, stars, creatures, Myriads of them in millions of shapes, sizes, and colors. In his own words, it has been nothing but good. But he is bothered. There is one not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, Adam hadn't figured that out yet. From his rather limited experience, Adam thought life was rolling along just grandly. Hey, this was paradise. The world smelled new. There was plenty to eat. That was all before God started the parade down Main Street. It was a parade of animals, and that was fun, too, for a while. There they came, waiting to be named, admired, and applauded. There they came, two by two, by two, by two, by two, by two. It wasn't long before this newly minted human being got the picture. He was alone. Flat out by himself, he had no counterpart. All the creatures came in pairs. He did not. The first little tendrils of loneliness stole across his heart. Life had been full, full, full. What was this place in his chest that felt empty? Ever been alone? I mean, really alone? For a long time, there is nothing worse than loneliness. It's sheer terror. That's why solitary confinement borders on the cruel and unusual, and why it is so effective in breaking down a POW. The Lord had said it all. It is not good for the man to be alone. And now Adam knew it too. So the Lord finished the sentence with a great promise. I will make a helpmate suitable for him. And he did. The creator didn't just snap his fingers and come up with something. In the words of scripture, he fashioned her. He sculpted her. He paid attention to the lines. He worked at it. He created a work of art. Mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. She was a helpmate suitable. Ladies, take no offense here. Helpmate is no inferior title. It describes no lesser being. As we often say at the conferences where Linda and I serve as on the speaker team, it is not helper in the way we might say plumber's helper. The term says more about the one needing help your poor husband, the man, then it does about the one helping the woman. It implies the man is incomplete. He needs help. The God of the universe loves to describe himself in similar terms. He is our help in times of trouble. By the way, it's the same Hebrew word. Helper is a majestic term, and woman is a helper suitable or corresponding to the man. There's another way of saying she is no duplicate. She's got you beat by a long shot. God did a really good job second time around. Not the same, not a clone. A woman is not a man with redesigned plumbing. There is no redundancy here. She is woman, glorious, beautiful, creative, and different. Adam did not need a buddy. A fishing partner or another guy to race elephants with. Man needed woman. She is the rest of the story. Are you beginning to get the picture? How about you? It's no joke. God made you very good. In Genesis 2.15... 
It says this, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. Some time ago, as I was studying for this, I came across uh, some thoughts that changed everything in how I looked at this. What I hadn't realized, this word keep in verse 15 means to guard. It means to hedge about as with thorns, to guard, to protect. And so you could say that the Garden of Eden was a military context. There was a battle about to take place. The man and the woman were created to subdue and rule the earth. God said so. He told them to. And Adam was commanded to guard the garden. That's what the Bible says. That's what the word keep means. It means to guard and protect. It's military language. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's look at verse 18 again. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. This word help meet is the Hebrew word azer. It means aid, help, or one who helps. Now, there's 21 times this occurs in the Old Testament. I find this interesting. It's twice used to talk about the woman. Three times for other nations that helped Israel in a military sense. And 16 times it's used to describe God as a helper. If this same Hebrew word is talking about God helping us, then we should never belittle the women as our help. Is that clear enough? And I think often we've taken this verse and somehow made this word help me to be a lot less than what it is. It does not mean she's a person to be stumped on, commanded, shouted at, bossed around. She is your partner in the battle. Does that make any difference? And how we look at our wives. I think it's massive. To me, it changed everything. And I've found when I finally let my wife be in the battle with me equally, completely, when I heard everything, the battle went a lot better. There's a lot more success in every way. I'm talking about the spiritual battles we face. I'm talking about the relationships that our children battles. I'm talking about all those things, even moral battles. So Eve was Adam's helper and partner in this battle to protect the garden. And our wives are no less. They're our battle partners. And if we are one flesh as God asked, spiritual oneness, emotional oneness, and physical oneness, if we have all three of those, they will be a great battle partner. Specifically to the ladies now. There's two ways I want to look at that you can be a powerful help to your husband. Clearly communicating to your husband your desires, your fears, and your concerns. You have got to do this. I'm not picking on you, okay? But over and over again, as my wife has talked to women at marriage seminars, good friends of hers, all over, ladies are saying, I, I can't tell my husband. I, I can't tell him what's on my heart. I'm afraid. You've got to tell him. Do you realize, men, that gives you a job to do too? Many women are afraid to share their actual heart with their husbands. You as a couple 
God calls one flesh. It's not a business partnership. It's, it's like one person. You're supposed to work together as if you're one. How can that happen when we're afraid to share our hearts with each other? Must, we must join forces in this battle or we'll be crippled without it. And maybe some of you are. I've had plenty of times like that. We have had. And I'm not sure how to say it strongly enough to convince you, but you as ladies must share your heart with your husband. Your desires, your fears, your concerns about him, about the children, about church issues, about everything. But you're going to have to make it safe for her to come. Some of your wives are afraid to talk to you. I'm not saying that because I know anything about you here, okay? I just know the law of averages says so. We hear it far too often. The second thing you can do is lift your husband by giving him affirmation. We as men, and, and I think we all know this, at least in our heads, but let's get it, drive it a little closer to our hearts if we can. We as men are wired with a longing for significance, to do something that actually matters, to know that we, we're good at what we do, that, that we can do it well, to be able to provide for our families, to be able to do something that counts, and to be good at it. And you as ladies can do that for men like no other, and especially your husband. Obviously, that's the most um, important place to do it and the safest place, but there are ways that women in general, including the single ladies here and others, can can be an encouragement and an affirmation to men in appropriate ways. God has given you a powerful opportunity to do that. And especially, again, you, you as married ladies, if you, well, we'll get to that. You can cut your husband down just like that with your words. What you say to him matters a whole lot more than you can even imagine. When you're talking about him as a person and, and his worth, his value, and whether he's good at something or not. Now, I don't consider myself less secure than average necessarily, but on the way home from church after I preach, this is just an example. Ben, what do we want to hear? We hope it's better than that even, but sometimes I have to say, honey, listen, there's something you did that you shouldn't do, right? That's okay, too. Done right. Done correctly. That, that's good, too. Do it kindly because he's very, very sensitive. That ego will just be destroyed in a second. But the words we long to hear in a case like that is, honey, you did a good job today. Your sermon was really good. We long for that. And if we hear those kinds of things regularly from our wife, we will run through walls. We will knock anything down if our wife is behind us. There's nothing we will not do. If that woman is right behind us, and we know it. Am I right, Ben? Thank you. But if we hear the other... If you're constantly berating him and belittling him and, and cutting him down and making it clear that he's no good at leading, he might not be, and probably some of these men aren't, because many of us aren't. I, I don't know. I hope that's not true, and I, I'm not trying to make... Mima said there's a lot of good men here, so I'll take your word for that. But I actually happen 
to know that in a group this size, there's going to be some that are going to struggle with that. And you could just confirm that to your husband constantly and say, you just, you just aren't doing a good job. Or just run him over and lead yourself. It will crush him in a way you can never imagine. And by the way, you as daughters can do that to your dads as well. You can. You can knock him down and take energy out of his world, or you can be there for him. I have notes in the back of my Bible from one of my daughters that if I would read them right now, I wouldn't be able to talk. I would cry. It's powerful what you as women can do. And again, especially daughters and wives. You can, you can help that man to be successful beyond anything he's ever dreamed. Or you can cut him down to where he never will make it. Never will really make much, never will really count. Was that hard enough on you? <laughs> That's not my goal, actually, but I'm only saying these things the way I am because I think it's just that important. I really do. And I just pray and hope that somehow... If some of these things are a struggle for you, can you find your way? Changes everything. Proverbs 31 and verse 11, this is from the ESV, says it like this. Talking about the wife, the heart of her husband Trust in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And from verses 13 to 22 in Proverbs 31, it's just all kinds of amazing things that a woman is supposed to do, right? <laughs> well, I think you shouldn't be intimidated by that. Just be who God called you to be. But it says in there that she... She keeps the house, she feeds the family, she keeps the family well-clothed. And in the case of that woman, she even was selling wares to the merchants. She was contributing to the income of the household. The main thing that I want to say with that is you were given exactly what is needed to complement your husband in every way that he needs to make him successful and for you to be successful as well. It's not all about him. You were, you're, you're, you're to bring the rest of the story to the table because there's areas in which he is deficient. He needs help. Can you admit that? You do need help. And your wife has what you need if you will listen. Did I mention yet, men, that you really need your wife? Have I said that yet? I hope it's not unclear. Purpose number two, women are to be the bearer and nurturer of children. In Genesis 3.20, it says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And God has given you as women both the difficult job, but also the unique privilege of bearing children. It's incredible. At least... To us it is, right? <laughs> Again, it comes with difficulty. It's not an easy thing. But it's a unique and amazing privilege that you have to be the mother of your children, to bring more mankind into the world. And when you look at the story of Moses, as, as his sister put him into that river, and then Pharaoh's daughter came down there, and she saw this, this little uh, basket, and she opened it up and found the baby in there. She being a woman, her heart just had compassion immediately. And even though this little boy should have been killed on the spot, her heart said, no, I'm taking him home. 
her mother heart, her, her female heart had, had compassion on him. And uh, I think that's just another illustration from the Bible of, of how much women are made that way. And then there's a story of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 and 2 and how she longed to have a son. And she prayed and cried to God for a son. And she, she wanted, she wanted a, a young boy not only for the pleasure of being a mother, but she wanted to raise a young man for God. She was serious about it. There again we see the, the, the depth of a mother's heart and, and her, her nurturing spirit. <clears throat> let's not take that for granted, men. And let's not take that for granted for you either, that you have that privilege. And especially for you as younger ladies, the number of you families, I watch you with your two, three, or four young children. Oh, I remember those days. <laughs> Tiring days, but they're good. My mother-in-law always said to my wife, this too shall pass. It's worth it. It's worth it. Be a mom and do it well. And then number three, to, the purpose number three that I have this evening, to be a keeper of the home. In Titus 2, 3 to 5, familiar verses for us. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, Chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. In the ESV, it says to be self-controlled, pure, and working at home. There's a reason God said that. It's because he has given you the tools to nurture your children. And no matter how hard we as men try, we can never be a nurturer the same way that our wife can. And today, in today's world, I suppose maybe for some families, it's what, the way it has to be. But you have now this thing called stay-at-home dads. Where the mom is out making $100,000 a year, and dad stays home taking care of the children. All I'm going to say about that right well, I'm, I have a little bit more about that, but the main thing I want to say is I'm sure that can work. But God has put in the heart and the spirit of men a desire to go out and slay the dragons and bring home the money for the family. And he has given, he has put into the heart of a woman that nurturing spirit where she, she feels and cares for the children. And again, like I mentioned was it last evening? So much better at changing the diapers and all those little fine motor skills, right? Our big hands get in the way. There's a reason that God asked the women to be the keeper of the home. No matter how hard a man may try, he can't keep the house like a lady can, generally speaking. And I believe that Men should be the provider, the, the, the primary provider of, of the income of the home. And I find it fascinating that even in this book, His Brain, Her Brain, they talk about that. And, and I just thought it was, it was fascinating what they had to say about that. <clears throat> to read you uh, a number of paragraphs here. The, well, the author is, is Walt Larimore and his wife, Barb. He says this, I, know, I love the way Barbara and Alan Pease describe how our biological design and needs complement each other. A man's biological urge is to provide for a woman and her appreciation of his efforts to confirm his success. 
If she is happy, he feels fulfilled. If she is not happy, he feels that he is a failure because he believes he can't provide enough. They go on to say he needs to be told by a woman that he is successful at what he does and that what he can provide is fine. Did you hear that? For our husbands, providing for us and protecting us is built into their DNA. If we try to usurp or minimize what our husband is built and designed to do, we put our marriage in peril. Barb is right. Our marriages are in peril if we ignore God's design in this area. Consider the following documented outcomes when provision and security are out of balance in marriage. These are statistics. This is proven by some research of some kind. Women divorce men who are not ambitious and do not work steadily at good jobs. A husband rarely feels good when his wife supports him financially. Couples with ambitious wives or those who have increasing income are more likely to divorce. Young, highly educated, and occupationally successful fathers in dual career marriages are less satisfied with their work. Marriages and personalized and similar men who are the sole provider. When both spouses work, couples report that it is easier for the marriage when the wife's career is less financially successful than the husband's. Most women hold this view because they believe their husband's work is more important to his sense of self, and they need their husband to be successful. Couples will go to great lengths to conceal a high-earning wife's income to protect the husband's status as primary provider. Did you catch that? When couples are with their friends and the wife earns more than the husband, they try to hide that fact because it makes the husband appear weak. This is just showing that what God said is actually built into us. Divorce rates are far, far higher when the wife's career is more successful than the husband's. Why? Neither the newly liberated alpha woman, women nor their shell-shocked beta spouses seem comfortable with the role reversal. First, the wife starts to lose respect for her husband then he begins to feel emasculated, and then sex dwindles to a full stop. And then one more paragraph. These observations are not merely about role reversal. They are neither sexist nor chauvinistic. Rather, they are about ignoring our innate design and snubbing our noses at our Creator's plan and intention. So if you're a mother at home, which most of you are, God bless you in that, and find satisfaction there. That's where you should be. <clears throat> I'd like to read to you 31 characteristics of a godly woman. And some of these are taken from Proverbs 31, but some of them for other places in Scripture. Please don't let this be overwhelming. I think it's pretty good. As I read this, man, I want you to think. You just closely listen to the role God has called your wife and value what she is. <clears throat> Number one, she handles herself gracefully. Number two, she loves and embraces children. Number three, she speaks with wisdom. Four, she has discretion. Number five, she is able to be fully trusted by her husband. Six, she desires to be her husband's most faithful companion and closest confidant. Seven, she joyfully embraces being a woman and abhors feminism. Number eight, she can manage her home well. Nine, she is diligent to accomplish anything entrusted to her care. Ten, 
She is firm in her convictions and desires to teach younger women the virtues of godly womanhood through her example and instruction. Number 11. She desires for and encourages men to be leaders in their families, churches, and society. 12. She desires to build up and strengthen her home. 13. She desires to raise and train the next president, not be the next president. 14. She believes children are a blessing from God, not a burden. 15. She has a humble spirit. 16. She looks up to, she follows, and she respects her husband as the leader of the home. 17. She has a quiet spirit and influences others through godly conduct. 18. She desires to be a mother of nations, not a leader of nations. She has a heart to open her home to hospitality and service to others. 20. She cares for the saints. 21. She is capable and skilled to clothe her family and decorate her home. 22. She desires to model the examples of holy women in Scripture. 23. She has skills to prepare meals for her family and bless others through hospitality. 24. She is able to teach her children with practical life instruction. 25. She desires to please her husband and do him good all his life. 26. She is able to manage a business from her home. 27. She can be trusted with wise discretion in spending. 28. She cares for the poor and the needy. 29. She clothes herself in modesty and good works and does not desire to attract or distract men's eyes. 30. She has a kind and helpful attitude. And 31. She is prudent, intelligent, productive, skillful, wise, and has understanding. I'm guessing that your wives here have most of those characteristics. Do you appreciate it? To the ladies here, a godly, joyful, and a modest woman is beautiful in a way that the woman of the world can never be. And when you are that, the world sees it. They take note. God bless you, ladies, as you willingly fill that role.